Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about hyperkalemia. And you can follow along with written notes on this topic at zerodefinals.com slash hyperkalemia or in the renal section of the Zero to Finals medicine book. So let's get straight into it. Hyperkalemia is a high serum potassium level and it's important to remember the investigations and management of hyperkalemia as it's a common exam question and also a common real life scenario that you'll have to deal with as a junior doctor. The main complication is cardiac arrhythmias such as ventricular fibrillation or VF and these cardiac arrhythmias can lead to cardiac arrest and be fatal. So what are the causes of hyperkalemia? There's certain conditions that can cause hyperkalemia and these include acute kidney injury, chronic kidney disease, rhabdomyolysis, adrenal insufficiency or Addison's disease and tumor lysis syndrome. There's also many medications that can cause hyperkalemia and these include aldosterone antagonists such as spironolactone and aplerinone, ACE inhibitors, angiotensin II receptor blockers, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and naproxen and potassium supplements. Let's talk about the eusinase or renal profile blood test. Hyperkalemia is diagnosed on a formal urea and electrolytes or urine blood test. Pay attention to creatinine, urea and the EGFR because acute and chronic renal failure is important as they will need discussion with the renal team and consideration for hemodialysis. Hemolysis, which is the breakdown of red blood cells during a sample, can lead to a falsely elevated potassium level. So if it's been quite a traumatic vena puncture, sometimes this can damage the red blood cells, and as they get damaged, they release potassium. So the sample has a high potassium level, whereas their actual blood or their serum potassium is normal. The lab might indicate that they've noticed some hemolysis and require a repeat sample to confirm the correct potassium level. Let's talk about the ECG signs. An ECG is required in all patients with a potassium above 6 millimoles per litre. And it's worth memorising the ECG changes in hyperkalemia because this is a very common exam scenario and something you'll be looking for on ECGs when you start practising as a doctor. The ECG changes in hyperkalemia are tall, peaked T waves, flattened or absent P waves, and broad QRS complexes. The next really important topic in hyperkalemia is management. You should always follow the local policy and protocol for treating hyperkalemia and get help from an experienced doctor if you have any doubts about how to treat it. Patients with significant hyperkalemia will need close ECG monitoring to detect any changes and any arrhythmias. Patients with significant renal impairment should be discussed with renal physicians for advice about how to treat the hyperkalemia. Patients with a potassium of less than or equal to 6 millimoles per litre with otherwise stable renal function don't need urgent treatment and may just require a change in diet and medications, for example stopping their spironolactone or stopping their ACE inhibitor. Patients with a potassium of more than 6 millimoles per litre and ECG changes require urgent treatment and all patients with a potassium above 6.5 millimoles per litre regardless of the ECG need urgent treatment. 
The mainstay of treatment is with insulin and dextrose infusions and with IV calcium gluconate. Giving an insulin and dextrose infusion drives carbohydrates into cells. And when they drive carbohydrates into cells, it takes potassium with it. So when the potassium is entering the cells, it's reducing the serum potassium level. Calcium gluconate stabilizes the cardiac muscle cells, and this reduces the risk of them developing arrhythmias secondary to the hyperkalemia. Other options for lowering the serum potassium level are nebulized salbutamol, which temporarily drives potassium into cells. IV fluids can be used to increase the urine output, which encourages potassium loss from the kidneys. But it's important not to overload patients with renal failure with fluid, otherwise they become fluid overloaded and edematous. Oral calcium rhizonium draws potassium out of the gut and into the stools, but this works slowly and is only really suitable for milder cases of hyperkalemia. Sodium bicarbonate given intravenous or orally may be considered on the advice of a renal specialist if the patient is acidotic and has renal failure and this helps because it drives potassium into cells as the acidosis is corrected. And finally renal dialysis may be required in severe or persistent cases of hyperkalemia that's associated with renal failure as it helps to remove the potassium by dialysis replacing the normal kidney function. So thanks for listening to this episode on hyperkalemia. A big thank you to Harry Watchman for perfectly editing this podcast. It wouldn't be possible to maintain it without his hard work and reliability. I hope you found this podcast helpful. If you did, I'd be very grateful if you could share it with your friends and colleagues and help them with their revision too. I'd also be really grateful if you could leave a rating or review on the iTunes podcast store. If you want written notes on this topic and all the other podcast episode topics, head over to Amazon and pick up a copy of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. You can also find all the notes as well as illustrations, videos, questions and a blog completely free on the Zero to Finals website at zerotofinals.com. And I hope you tune in for the next episode, which will be on polycystic kidney disease.